go ahead and get started. I'm sure we'll have some more uh, filtering in. We've been having more than this in one class, so I'm surprised we don't have more than that with two classes in here tonight. So I, I will assume people will filter in, which I guess it is kind of spring break for some people, isn't it? I guess some people are probably on spring break, so that may be part of it. Um, but we're so glad that all of you are here um, tonight and uh, come out to be better students of the Bible. So uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and, uh, and we'll just dive right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. Lord, again, we thank you for the reality that you have, you have told us about yourself, that you have given us a book in language that we can understand so that, Lord, we can love you and praise you um, with clarity and we can praise you with specificity about who you actually are. Lord, we are here to, to worship that which is distant. We are not here to worship that which is unknown and just out there somewhere. We are here to praise and to worship a God that has showed us who he is with depth and reality and personally. And so, Father, help us to grow in that together. Lord, let our time today be helpful. Let our time today be profitable. And I pray, Lord, that you would use it in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so tonight, my goal, as you'll see in your notes, is that you would all leave very, very, very encouraged. Like, that's what I want for you, okay? So hopefully that is a good goal. That's the wrong one, Lisa. That's last week's, I'm sorry. My goal tonight, though, is for you to all leave uh, very, very encouraged. I bet all of you, some, when you open up the Bible, you often feel, that's the wrong one. I put those down there to hide them. <laughs> but thank you for finding them. <laughs> uh, but I bet most of you, when you think about studying the Bible, it can be a pretty intimidating thought. I mean, the Bible is a thicker book than we are accustomed to reading most of the time. Mo a lot of people in our generation actually don't read at all, so it's even more intimidating to think about the idea of reading it. Then you add into it that the Bible is thousands of years old, that it was translated from Hebrew and Greek and some Aramaic into English, like from that to Latin to English, like, there's all of that that's in there, right? And it can be quite intimidating for a lot of people. And a lot of people, when they read it, they just, they don't really even engage it because they're just assuming on the front end that they can't understand it, that, that it's going to go above their heads. And so what I want to teach tonight is that the Bible can, in fact, be understood. Um, the big word for the way that we could we would, uh, we would say that, which is really an ironic thing, since we're talking about how clear and understandable the Bible is. This is not a clear and understandable word. But the word is perspicuity. So, so this is called the perspicuity of Scripture. Did that bless you, uh, Alan? Really bless you? Uh, but all perspicuity means is, is that the Bible is a plain book. Perspicuity means plainness, the plainness of the Bible. 
And so from, from the earliest days of the Bible, one of the things that has been most valued about the Bible is that the Bible is clear and that the Bible is understandable and that the Bible is put in plain language that plain people are able to enjoy and able to understand and able to apply to their lives. So let's talk a little bit about that. Before we even get into that, though, what we need to understand is that the clarity of Scripture is complicated for us. It's complicated for us. So, so yes, it's encouraging to know that the Bible is plain, the Bible is given to us in language that can be understood, and God is revealing himself clearly. He is revealing his plan for us clearly. He is revealing the truth about us clearly. He's revealing all of those things clearly, but it's complicated for us because of what? Because of sin. Because sin has come into the world. And the world has fallen. And if you remember, we talked about that when the world fell, not only did everything in creation fall, not only did the earth itself begin to groan, not only did we inherit a sin nature that corrupts our desires, but we in fact inherited a flawed ability to logic, a flawed ability to reason. We call this the noetic effect, the effect that sin has on our ability to use sound reason and sound rationale and sound logic. So all of us bring to the table this, abil- this inability to reason perfectly. That none of us have a perfectly logical mind. None of us have a perfectly reasonable mind. None of us have a perfectly sensible mind. And this is because all of us are sinners. Now, some of the other struggles that we have uh, with, with the simplicity of Scripture is the simplicity itself. That in our sinful nature, we naturally distrust things that are simple. A lot of times we will say, it just can't be that simple. It, just, it, it, just, it can't just mean that. It's got to mean something more than that. It's got to mean something other than that. The Bible can't just be that. Steve, we love a good conspiracy theory, don't we? That's what we like. We like the JFK shows where you got the, the grassy knoll, you know, the shooter on the grassy knoll, and you got all these other theories. We love a good allegory, you know, somebody that can take a passage and say, well, you know what the real meaning of this is. The real meaning of this is, is if you take the color red and the number three and you combine it over here and you use this formula, you can come over here and you can see that this is clearly talking about Jesus post-resurrection with the nails in his hands. You know, like you've heard guys that can make all these, these allegorical connections we we like those things because our sinful minds can't embrace simplicity we have difficulty embracing that which is plain and clear the other difficulty that we have is just our own limitations god is an infinite god and we are finite people and so obviously you can't fit all of the knowledge of an infinite God and all of the truth about an infinite God inside of a finite mind. So our abilities to understand, our abilities to remember are compromised. They're limited. Our abilities to know is limited. Some of us might be able to know a little bit more than others of us. But at the end of the day, none of us are going to be able to absorb it completely. None of us are going to be able to remember it perfectly. None of us are going to be able to connect it as clearly as the scriptures would intend and in fact do themselves. Because God is big and we are small. But if the Bible is clear about anything, it's clear on the fact that it's clear, right? 
So let's look at a, a few verses and see what I mean when I say that. I, those, these are all directly in your notes. You can just follow along with me. First of all, we see that the scriptures are light. This is one of the things that I like to point to very often when I'm counseling with folks. Is that the truth is, is that we live in these days that are dark. We live in these days that are confusing. We live in these days that are perplexing. And we come to situations in our lives that are dark. And we come to situations in our lives that are perplexing. And if we hope to cut through the noise, if we hope to be able to see through the darkness, we've got to have the light. Well, Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That the Bible is not dark. The Bible is not unclear. Instead, it's the opposite that is true. The Bible is a lantern. The Bible is a flashlight. The Bible is a candle. The Bible is a light in the midst of the darkness. The Bible makes clear that which is not clear. The Bible, the problem of clarity, the pro problem of plainness does not lie within the Bible. The problem of plainness lies within the fallenness of the world and the fallenness of ourselves. So we need, if we want to think clearly and see clearly and think plainly and see plainly, we need the Bible because it is the Bible that is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Next, we can see that the scriptures are helpful, that all of the scriptures are helpful. In 2 Timothy 3.16, one of the verses that we have referenced most often in this class, it says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That, the, that God did not give us a book that's just out there, okay? God did not just give us a book that's intended to be read as, um, as a series of philosophies for us just to kind of think on and discuss. God gave us a book that in which every single word contains his breath and is helpful to us, is profitable to us, is beneficial to the way that we think and the way that we talk and the way that we live and the things that we do. The Bible, because it is clear and plain, is beneficial to us and helpful to us in a number of ways, every single word of it. And right, that's again, that's another reason in which the way we, we preach the way that we do, right? That's another reason we go through books of the Bible. Because we go through passages of Scripture that on surface level may not seem as helpful to us. And it allows us to go and say, alright, I know the breath of God is here. I know this is helpful. Let's, let's meditate on it until we find it. Next, Scripture explains salvation. Scripture is perfectly clear on how a man or a woman is saved. It's perfectly clear. 2 Timothy 3.15b says, The sacred writings, that's the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How can we know how we can be saved? The Bible. The Bible tells us how we can be saved. How do we know how they can be saved in, in the Middle East? The Bible tells us how they are saved. How can we know how a Buddhist can be saved? The Bible tells us how a Buddhist can be saved. The Bible gives us with clarity and with specificity the exclusivity of the gospel. That the gospel is the way that we are saved. And so the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, uncovers and reveals to us clearly how it is a man or a woman can be right with God and be put back together again after the fall. Right? The Bible is completely unveiling this for us. Next. Scripture is addressed to common people, not religious experts. I love this. This is one of my, my favorite parts of this. 
Think about it. Mark 12, 37, it says, the common people heard Jesus gladly. Ephesians 1, 1 is just one, one example I could have given you of innumerable others in the New Testament that says, to the saints of Ephesus. In other words, when, when the New Testament writers were writing these letters, they weren't writing them to a pope, they weren't writing them to a bishop, they were writing them to the church. They didn't have to go through somebody to be interpreted for the church. They were written and given to the church, which means that it was expected that the church would be able to understand them. It was expected that the church, by reading them, by hearing them, would be benefited by them. That the meanings of the letters, though sometimes confusing, though sometimes difficult, would at its surface level, and its most important truth, be understandable to the people, the general people that made up the congregations of the church. That's beautiful. That's powerful. That Jesus taught common people. That the writers wrote to common people. They, they wrote to people like us that just live in rural Alabama, live, want to raise our kids and love our wives. Like It's written to people just like us so that we might understand and we might be helped and we might be saved. Lastly, a child can learn and should be taught the scriptures. Think about how often the scriptures speak of teaching them to, to a child. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 is, a, is basically Timothy's testimony. And Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You hear that? From childhood... Timothy had been acquainted with the sacred writings. From childhood, Timothy had read the Bible. From childhood, Timothy had been taught the truth about God and the truth about Jesus from Lois. He had been taught by his family from childhood. Deuteronomy 6, if we go back to uh, the Old Testament, it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That a child, the Bible is written so plainly that a child can understand the big picture of the Bible. A child can understand how someone can be saved. Many of you were probably saved as children. And you were saved because of how you were taught the gospel from the Bible. That you were able to wrap your mind around in some way your own sinfulness. And you were able to wrap your mind around the provision of God in Jesus Christ. You were able to wrap your mind around that Jesus didn't just live but he died for your sin in your place. The death that you should have died and that he shouldn't have died. And that not only did he die but he was raised from the dead defeating the grave so that he might offer you eternal and abundant life so even as a child people were able to comprehend that and know that and love that and embrace that and apply it to their lives that's why we teach the bible to children every week right that's why we teach the bible to teenagers every week because the bible is given to us in language that a child can understand and that a child can apply to their lives which means clearly that the bible is written in a plain way the Bible isn't nearly as intimidating when you think of it like that as it is when you just look at it being a really thick, really old book, right? When you understand that a child can understand it, then you can, then you can kind of be disarmed a little bit in how intimidated that you are. God loves us too much to give us a cryptic book that we have to crack for the code. There are way too many television hours wasted on shows trying to show us the great code to the Bible. 
and how the, the Freemasons or whoever else it is has some key code to the scriptures and how all of it's kind of laying beneath the surface. And if you, you kind of twist your eye and squint a little, you can see this and how this verse makes this connection with this. Y'all, God just loves us more than that. God is just kinder than that. God is just more gracious than that. What good would it be if God gave us a book that required us to discover some code over the series of thousands of years just so that we can understand what it's supposed to mean to us? No, God gave us a book in plain language. God gave us a book that can be clearly understood and clearly studied. Before we talk about what um, the perspicuity of Scripture does mean, the plainness of Scripture does mean, let's talk a little bit about what it doesn't mean. So first of all, what it doesn't mean, it does not mean that all of Scripture is equally clear and as precise in its meaning. In its meaning. You all can read the Bible and you can know that there are some parts of Scripture that are pretty confusing, right? That all of us can open up Romans chapter 9 and know that Romans chapter 9 is complex, and Romans chapter 9 is difficult. And Romans chapter 9 is, is hard to wrap your mind around. All of us can turn to Romans chapter 11 and understand that Romans chapter 11 in the context of the New Testament is difficult to understand and difficult to write, wrap our minds around. A lot of us can, can go to the Old Testament and see, um, and, and see polygamy. And it's hard to wrap your mind around. It's hard to understand how all of those things work together, right? Like There's, there's difficult teachings in Scripture. We can read in Joshua and see how the people of God were taught, were told by God to decimate entire civilizations, including women and children. And that's hard. Like it's, there's difficult things to wrap our minds around and difficult things that are maybe less clear as to what they mean and how they connect into everything. But, in its, but, but that's why, but I, don't, I almost got ahead of myself, but that's why we need classes like this, right? That, that's one of the reasons that God gives us in Ephesians 4, the officers of the church, to help us be able to understand things better. That's why we come together and we study it together. We don't just study it by ourselves and on a mountaintop somewhere. Remember, that's how heretics are formed. We, we, we come together because some of these things are difficult. I love what the church father, John Chrysostom, said. Um, he's one of the, mo the earliest church fathers around between 300 and 400 uh, A.D., probably one of the most prolific writers of that era, he said this about the Bible. He said, in one part, there are, there are whirlpools and not in another. So he compares the Bible to a river. And he says, you know, in some parts of that river, there's class five rapids. In some parts of that river, the, the water is rushing and it's gushing over mountains and there's huge waterfalls and there's undercurrents. And if you swim in it, it's very easy to drown. It's very easy to kind of lose your footing and lose your way. But then there's other parts of the Bible that are like pools, calm pools, where you can go and you can just kind of linger there and you can, you can swim around there and you can, you can enjoy it and you can hang out there. And most of the Bible falls in that category. And so what Chrysostom would teach us would be to spend most of our time in the pools and worry ourselves less with the, with the, with the whirlpools. Spend most of our time in the waters that are clear and calm and understandable. Those, those waters that are, are deep 
and rich and helpful and to linger there and to stay there and to, to use those even to help us with those things that are harder to understand and those things that are, are more complex for us. But, but spend most of our time here and not be swept away by the currents over here. doesn't mean we should ignore them. doesn't mean we shouldn't study them because all of it is profitable, right? All of it is God-breathed. It just means that God is going to be most clear about those things which are most important. So spend most of your time in those things that are most clear. It does not mean that all of Scripture is equally simple. All right? I, the, this, the Bible is clear, but it is not all equally clear, right? Peter teaches us this when he talks about the writings of Paul. And I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, this is a very encouraging passage to me. 2 Peter 3.16 says, There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So Peter talks about some of the writings of Paul. And remember, we talked about kind of Peter and Paul had different education levels, right? Peter and Paul had, had different backgrounds. Peter raised a fisherman. Paul raised a scholar. So you have different backgrounds. You have different histories. You have, you have different linguistic abilities. You have all of this stuff factored into that. And so Peter reflects on, maybe it's Romans 9. Maybe he's reflecting on Romans 11. Some of these difficult things that Paul has written. And he says, you know what? Some of these things are just hard to understand. Some of these things are just hard to understand. And people are going to take them and they're going to twist them and they're going to manipulate them. Don't let those things deceive you. Don't let those things worry you. And so I hope for you, there's a sense of freedom in that. There's a sense of freedom that your theology is going to be messy in places. It's going to be. Your understanding of certain doctrines is going to be unclear on some, some areas. Peter says that some of these are hard to understand. Okay, Peter Peter, he was considered the leader of the disciples, the leader of the apostles. And he is saying, you know, that this is the guy, by the way, that preached Pentecost, okay? Preached Pentecost. And he's saying some of these things are hard for me. Some of these things are difficult for, us, for me to understand. And so there should be humility in us that says, okay, if Peter had, had difficulty with some of these things, I'm going to have difficulty with some of these things. If Peter, if Peter had messy theology and, and couldn't reconcile every biblical doctrine perfectly, then I'm going to have messy theology and not be able to reconcile every biblical doctrine perfectly. So there's humility and there's freedom, right? There's freedom. Next, it does not mean that interpretation, explanation, and exposition by a Bible teacher are never necessary. So some people hear that the Bible is plain and they think, all right, clown, then what do we need you for? You know, um, wh why do we need to come to, to the church and, and hear our Sunday school teachers teach? Why do we need to come and sit in corporate worship and hear a preacher preach to us? And I, there, there's a lot of reasons, I think, why the Lord brings us together for that purpose. But chief among them, at the center of corporate worship, you read through the, the Bible, the New Testament, you can't get around that at the center of corporate worship is the preaching of the word. Remember, that's what Paul charges Timothy with in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? In season and out of season, I charge you, preach the word, right? Why? Because we need it. We need it. We, we need someone to help us understand the Bible. We need someone to help us uh, help us apply the Bible. Sometimes we need somebody to, to take what we already know and remind us of it. Sometimes we need to take somebody to take what we know and to confront us with it and to say, this is what you know, but this is how you live. So there's a lot of reasons why we need it. An example I give you there is in 
is, is the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts, right? So, so you have Philip, you go, and he happens upon the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch said, that, you know, they ask, do you know the Lord? How can I unless someone teaches me? Well, that, that should be all of our attitudes, right? That, yes, I should read the Bible, and yes, I can un- understand so much of it, but in the humility of understanding uh, how limited my ability is, and in the humility of understanding my need to grow and to mature in the faith, I need to have a teachable spirit. I need to have a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit is an offering of worship to the Lord. Preaching for me is an act of worship. I I try to preach in a way where I almost don't even picture you guys in the room. I know that probably sounds weird. But like, I I, I try, and and sometimes I probably do this to a fault. Like, I'm looking over the congregation, and I'm trying to look to the Lord. I want him to. Him to be at the center because this is an offering that I am bringing to him. Something that I have put time in and investment in. So it's an offering that I'm bringing to the Lord. And I want, I want to bring it and say, here it is, Lord. I pray that it's presentable to you. I pray that it is good for you. I pray that it is helpful for your people. But the opposite is true, too. Listening to sermons is an act of worship. If God has put preaching at the center of his public worship, then it's not just preaching that is worship. It is listening to preaching that is worship. It is engaging it with your mind. It is allowing it to, to permeate your heart and soften your heart and change your mind. We think of, of, of worship as being singing when really worship is only a component of singing. It is a spoke on the wheel of worship. Worship, listening to sermons is as much worship as it is singing out Amazing Grace or any other song that we love and enjoy. So it does not mean that those things are unimportant. Ephesians 4 teaches us that the Lord gives us, he gives us apostles, he gives us prophets, he gives us shepherds and teachers that we might equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? And how do we equip the saints for the work of the ministry? Through the word, through the word. All right, so now let's talk about what the perspicuity of scripture does mean, what the plainness of scripture does mean. First of all, it means that Scripture is clear enough for the simplest person to live by. Scripture is clear enough for the simplest person, person to live by. These first two are my favorites, all right? These, these, this is really cool to me how these, these two go together. Listen to what it says in Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Now, when we read Psalms and and, and Proverbs, how do we understand the simple? The simple are those that, that understanding does not come easily for them, right? The simple are those that, that it's very difficult for them to, to wrap their minds around truth. Sometimes it's used to mean f- fool. Um, here it's mean to, meant to mean more um, just difficult for them to understand, right? Think about what this means. This means that God wants you to understand the gospel. He wants you to. God wants you to understand how to please Him with your life. God wants you to know how you can have eternal life. God wants you, 
all of you to know how you can be right with him. God wants you to know how you can overcome your sin. God wants you to know that you can hope for and long for the return of Jesus on your worst day and persevere through it. God wants you to know how you can stand firm in the midst of shifting sands. God wants you to know that you can see through the dark with his light-giving word. He wants you to know all of these things. God is good and gracious and kind. And one of the evidences of his kindness is the plainness of his book. The scriptures are written in such a way that a five-year-old can hear and be told. The scriptures are written in such a way that a person with severe mental limitation can hear the big pictures of the scriptures and take away from it that God loves me and that I am distant from him and that Jesus has come to save me. That you can go to someone with severe mental limitations and they can hear it and they can love it and they can treasure it, right? Because God has written his book so that a child can love its glory and a child can love its truth. The the church that I came from, my pastor was saved when he was five years old. Five years old. I pray for my little girls every single day of my life that they are saved as young as possible. I don't even want them to remember being lost. And that one of the hopes that I have in that is not only the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, but the power and the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That the Word of God is given to them so they can know that all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God can have Christ, the gift of Christ, and be redeemed. Isn't that awesome? The Bible testifies to itself that it can be understood by the simple, by the sinful, by those that are dyslexic, by those that are at school and have difficulty with algebra. They can come and the Bible isn't algebra. The Bible isn't algebra. The Bible isn't a code. You don't have to be good at chemistry and physics to come in and know that the Lord has made a way for you. That the Lord has made a way for you. And there is so much joy and glory and kindness that is given to us. Now consider there the responsibility. Consider the responsibility that's, that's given. If the Bible is given so that the simple can be helped by it. If the Bible is given so that the simple can understand it. Then not a single one of us with reading ability has a justifiable excuse not to read it has a justifiable excuse not to hear it and be helped, not to treasure it and be helped. Not a single one of us. Every single one of us, there is something in the Bible. That doesn't mean we're going to get all of it. That doesn't mean that we're going to find reading through Leviticus easy all the time. That doesn't mean that we're, we're never going to leave it and think, well, I'm not really sure what I just read. It just means that if we will commit ourselves to the book, the book will help us. It will strengthen us. It will draw us close to the Lord. It will change us in ways that we don't even realize. I can't tell you how many times I've been able to recall a verse that I didn't even realize I knew in the middle of a moment. Because the Holy Spirit had placed it back in the treasury of my mind, in the treasury of my life. And just as he promises in John 16, he brought it to my remembrance at a time in which I knew. I may have not have known exactly the book or the reference, but I knew what the word of God had said. And it benefited me and it blessed me. I can't tell you how many times I've been reading through the Old Testament and thought, 
this set, you know, Leviticus is what I think our uh, reading through the Bible in a year class is in right now. And you know, it takes perseverance to get through Leviticus and to, to get through First Chronicles. Like it takes it takes endurance. It takes it takes drive and want to to get through those things. And then all of a sudden, though, one day what you're going to find is you're going to be reading and you're going to open up your Bible and you're going to be reading about the woman with the issue of blood. And you're going to go, I get it. Like, I get it. I get why, why she was such an outcast. I get why she was so desperate to be healed by the Lord. I get it. And it's just going to bring it together in a way that brings and provokes you to worship. And there's no excuse. There's no justifiable excuse for any of us to not commit and discipline ourselves in the word of God. Now, I told you these first two are my favorite, and it's because they, they go together. Okay, so, so on one hand, the Bible is written so that a five-year-old can, can enjoy its truth. Uh, uh, the Bible is written so even someone with a learning disability can, can be helped. But on the other hand, the Bible is written so that it exceeds the greatest intellectual minds of our day. Some of you have heard me tell the story before, but when I told my granddad that I was going to go into, to, when I was going to start going to seminary, my granddad said something, and I, you know, I don't know that he's a man that particularly walks with God, but he said something very profound to me. He said, well, there's no subject deeper than God. And I thought, huh, that's true. That you can, you can spend 10 years in an academy commit yourself to, to deep research on any particular single doctrine of God and never find the end of it. Then you bring all of those doctrines together holistically and comprehensively and think about how much depth there is that there. One of the things that impressed me most about when I, when I went to seminary are the level of minds that are there. See, there's a lot in our culture. There's a lot in our culture. The lie in our cultural culture is, is that if you are a smart person, you cannot be both intellectual and faith-based. That you cannot be intellectual and believe that the Bible is true. That you cannot be intellectual and trust that Jesus is, the, is the, literally the only way to salvation. That you cannot be intellectual and believe that this is true. And that is a lie. And there is another lie out there that says that somehow that the whole church infrastructure is collapsing, that there are no leaders. Let me just tell you something. I went to seminary, I thought I knew stuff, and then I'm sitting by this guy in my preaching class, and we're doing like dissection of text, and he says, let me show you how to do that in the Greek. And he's what? And I'm like, what? The Greek? We talking Greek now? And, 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 and you know what? He, he was getting prepared to go to the mission field in the Middle East. Brilliant minds, brilliant minds. There's a, I, I've had professors that they, uh, Dr. Bruce Ware, he talks about the middle knowledge of God and how it relates to evil. And God just doesn't know what did happen. God doesn't know what will happen. God knows what could happen in every situation. How all of those things arrange in all of these different ways. And I'm like, whoa, how do you even sit around and think about that, man? Like, that's awesome, right? And how all of those things come together. You start, you start sitting in there, and you start thinking about how there's a eternal subordination among the Godhead within the Trinity, and how all of these things work together for, for the good of the Lord, and how you can see them working out in the social structures and the social constructs of our world. And you think, oh, never saw that before. But somebody did. Somebody did. 
you can start, you can expend the greatest mental energy with the greatest mind that God has ever blessed this earth with, and you would never find the end of the depths of the Bible. That it is a mine shaft filled with the richest treasures in the world, and it's a mine shaft that never, ever, ever ends. You literally can just keep going and going and going. And that's why it troubles me when there is Christians that are content with what they know about God. That troubles me. That disheartens me. That breaks my heart. Because God has given us so much of himself. He has shown us so much of who he is. How can we go with what we know and say that's enough of him? The more that we see, the more hungry and thirsty we should be to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the midst of his glory. So that over and over and over we can go to a place of praise and worship that we have never been before. That's my prayer for so much our church and so i hope that you can even hear that in my preaching when i'm trying to to draw that draw people into this it's an encouragement to us to think as deep as you've gone in jesus i can still go deeper as deeply as you've gone into the scriptures you can still go go deeper next scripture is clear and it's essential matters Part of this doctrine would teach us that, that in its most important and critical matters, the scriptures are clear. Remember what I, I, said, I said earlier when we were talking about the illustration of the river, how you have the pools and you have the whirlpools, right? You have kind of the calm water, the deep water, and then you have the swirling pools that are a little more difficult that can kind of sweep your feet out from under you. But God makes that most clear, which is most important. And there is nothing that pertains to the gospel that is unclear. There is nothing that pertains to how a man or a woman can be saved or a child can be saved that is unclear. There is nothing about the sinfulness of man that is unclear. That on the most important doctrines, God is crystal clear for us. Romans 3.23 is an example of that. So, so I understand that I am a, in a bit of a privileged position and that I have the time because of you guys, because you guys have enabled me to be able to do that to spend a bit more time reading things and a bit more time studying things. And I've been able to take uh, some classes. But you know what? If you and I all got together at a table and studied Romans 3.23, we would all have, say that it means the exact same thing. When it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we could bring in any of our teenagers over here. We could bring in a nine-year-old over here. And we could say, what does it mean that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? You know what every single one of them would say? I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned and I don't, I don't, I don't meet what God expects from me. You don't have to have, you don't have to know kind of the, the you know, platonic understanding of the flesh to understand what the reality of your sin is the bible is clear the bible is clear every person that can read that can understand that even if they don't believe the bible is true they can read it and say well christians believe that every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of god every person can read that because the bible is clear if we go back to that illustration of romans uh, of, of the of the river what i would say to you is this you need to find yourself at some point in the middle of the rapids. 
You need to find yourself at some point in the middle of the whirlpools. That stuff's exciting, right? You think about whitewater rafting. That, those are exciting places to be. But you don't need to go there until you're swimming really, really well in the calm waters. You don't need to go there until you're really comfortable swimming in the calm waters. You need to spend most of your time until you're comfortable with a competent understanding of the basics of the scriptures and the, and the, and the fundamental doctrines of the gospel. And then once you have that firm footing, then you are strong enough to be able to go into some of those, those rapids. Next, the Holy Spirit must illuminate the reader so that he can truthfully appreciate and grasp a text, a text's significance. So, if we were to t- if we were to bring in just a pagan, like a, 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 a completely forthright unbeliever, I don't believe the Bible. I'm not going to believe the Bible. I don't believe in God. I'm not going to believe the, in God. And we were to bring him into this class, and we were we were to teach all of the things that that y- that we're teaching to you guys, and we were to give a multiple choice test at the end of the class. He might be the smartest one of all of us. And he might even make the highest grade on the test and still not understand a single word of what he's read. You see, Jonathan Edwards gave me, an, uh, one time I was reading one of Jonathan Edwards' sermons, and he used an illustration that has always, so, and I think it applies to so many things. But he said, you know, it's one thing to know that honey is sweet, and it's another thing to taste the sweetness of honey and enjoy it. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? It's one thing for somebody to tell you that honey is sweet and for you to know that intellectually. But it's another thing for you to taste the honey and to enjoy the honey and to be able to testify, this is good, right? It's kind of like, you know, when, uh, when Megan was pregnant with Gracie for the first time. You, you, know, you hear people, they give you lots of advice, you know, lots of parenting advice. Some of it's helpful, some of it not so much. Um, but one of the, the, the most consistent things that you hear is, You've never loved anything like you're going to love this one. You've never, you've never felt a love like you're going to feel when she's born. And intellectually, you know that's true, and you kind of just roll your eyes. You're like, okay, I got it. Like, stop saying that, you know. Like, how do I get them to sleep at night? That's what you need to tell me, you know. Like, things like that. But then, then you hold them, right? Then you hold them. And all of a sudden, it clicks. There really is nothing like this. And then you watch her grow up and she stops pooping all the time and eventually she starts saying dada. And you think, whoa, that's even better. And then you see them grow and and, and do things that, that makes you smile and brings you joy and brings you happiness. You think, I didn't know I could ever feel about a human being what I feel about this little piece of DNA that the Lord has brought into my life, right? That is a picture of the difference between how a person, a, a pagan can understand the Bible and a Christian can understand the Bible. A pagan may have a mechanical understanding of what the Bible says. A pagan may have a mechanical understanding of, of the facts of the Bible. But they cannot love it. They cannot enjoy it. They cannot appreciate it. 
those things can only be enjoyed and known and appreciated and loved and gloried in and, 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 enjoy and praised over by those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Paul tells us in what I think is one of the most important scriptures uh, for us to, to understand. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, cannot be loved, cannot be appreciated by an unbeliever, by a natural person, because they are spiritually discerned. They are altogether greater than the one who is spiritually dead, uh, in, it tells us in Ephesians 2.1, right? He's, they are spiritually dead. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 goes on to talk about how we are spiritually blind. We cannot see. We might think we see. We might think we understand. But the truth is until the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and opens up our eyes, we cannot see our own sin. We cannot see the truth of the scriptures. We cannot see the glories of God. We cannot be right with God. The Spirit of God has to indwell us and remove the veil from our eyes so that we can not just know that honey is sweet, but that we can taste the sweetness of the honey. Not just know that we're going to love our kids, but love our kids. That the Spirit of God comes in here and He awakens these dead hearts, these dead bones to understand and to know the glory and the truth of the Scriptures. And this is beautiful when you think about it. Remember, think about how this connects in with so much of what we've said. We've said that the Holy Spirit superintended the scriptures in passing them down to us, right? That throughout the whole process, the Holy Spirit worked through ordinary men and in the ordinary means of providence. And he used their personalities and and their writings. And he wrote these books that he protected and guarded and passed down through the church and through the handwriting from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And the same Holy Spirit that gave us the Bible, the same Holy Spirit that wrote the Bible, the same Holy Spirit that protected the Bible and passed down the Bible, lives inside of every single one of us to help us understand the Bible. That's how the Bible can be plainly known. That's how the Bible can be, we can, be, we can rest in the assurance that we have, that the Bible can be clear to us. You and I have the same Holy Spirit. I may preach and you may not preach, but we have the same Holy Spirit. You are able to mine in the scriptures with the same spirit that wrote it, just like I am. Just like Bruce Ware is at Southern Seminary. Just like the most brilliant minds, Jonathan Edwards, um, we, we, Chrysostom that we talked about earlier, Augustine. We have the same Holy Spirit that they have. We may not have the same mental faculties and mental capacities that some of them have, but we have the Holy Spirit, and we can read the Bible and understand it and love it and treasure it. So many Christians are missing out on hearing from God because God primarily speaks to us through the Scriptures with the Holy Spirit. There are so many Christians that I know that right now are saying this, God never talks to me. I'm not really sure what God's calling me to do. I'm not sure what God is, is um, God, ha- the calling or the purpose that he has on my life. And we want there to be this revelatory moment with a, with a burning bush. When the truth is, is God has been even kinder to us than that. He has given it to us in a book. 
to read it and know. You'll know what I'm calling you to do. You'll know what I want for your life. You'll know what I expect from you. Read it and love it and be helped. Finally, the interpreters of Scripture must use ordinary means to study them. All right, so here's what some people would, some people take this, what, I'm, what I've been teaching you tonight, and they, they say, well then, if the Bible's so clear, then I don't really have to work very hard at it. If the Bible is clear, and I have the Holy Spirit living in me, and the Holy Spirit's going to bring to my remembrance, and the Holy Spirit's going to open up my eyes so that I can see those things which are spiritually discerned, if, if all of that is true, and all of that is going to work together, then I really don't know why I need to have to, you know, spend four or five hours a week studying it. I don't know why I have to go and sit under a 40-minute sermon. I don't understand why that happens. And it's because the Lord works through ordinary means. You see, Bible study is about as much, is, is as much about you having that time carved out to spend with the Lord as it is about you reading a book. It's about having time in your day in which God can speak into your life, can speak truth to you, can speak encouragement to you, can rebuke you and convict you so that he can open up your mind to things that he had been closed to before. And if you think about it this way, remember we talked about how God used ordinary means to, to give us the Bible. He used the authors and the handwriting and all of that. Well, if God used ordinary means to write the Bible, don't you think he's going to use ordinary means to study the Bible and understand the Bible? That the way the Spirit reveals things to you is by you putting in the work, and in the midst of the work, all of a sudden, the light goes off, the scriptures are illuminated, and you think, ah, never seen that before. And you break out into uh, spontaneous praise that you didn't even see coming. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more exhilarating in the Christian life than that. And what's so cool, and some of most of you have been Christians for a long time and you know this, is you can read a passage and you can know what it says and you can almost know it so well that you just kind of just glaze over it when you're reading it. You don't even hardly pay attention anymore. But then one day, you meditate on it again. You meditate on it in a way that you haven't done before and all of a sudden, God shows you something brand new that you've been reading that for 40 years, man, and you've never seen that before. And you just think, how did I miss it after all of these years? And it was the Spirit slowly revealing things to you in a way just to bring you and draw you into worship again and again. I don't know about y'all, but that gets me excited. That's cool. And that's cool. You might know John 3.16 by heart. You might have been quoting that since you were in vacation Bible school. And yet, in your 70s, you can go back to John 3.16, meditate on it, and see something brand new. And have it lift up your heart to the Lord. And have it change your whole countenance and change your whole day and get you through a bad month. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. And the book that the Lord has given to us is good. So my challenge to you tonight is this week, go home and read the Bible. Read the Bible. It's okay if you don't understand it all. It's okay that some days you are better than others. But read the Bible and read the Bible with the confidence of knowing that he has given you a book that can genuinely be understood by you and can genuinely help you. So let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, let us be the kind of Christians that think. Let us be the kinds of Christians that, that are resolved to go as deep in the midst of that mine shaft as we can. Let us be the kinds of Christians that are discontent with the amount of you that we already know. Discontent with the amount of glory that we've already beheld. Discontent with the depth of our worship as it is. Lord, take us deeper. Make us have an insatiable hunger and an insatiable thirst for your word. That we might go to it again and again and drink and eat and be filled. That we might be provoked into worship. Lord, I pray for each of these that you would give them an appetite for your word, that you would give them the discipline through your spirit, the self-control through your spirit to wake up and to read it. Bless them as they go about their weeks and use your word to encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. I hope you have a great week.